0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio.
1: I'm Bill Amadeo from uh, McManus and Amadeo and Graybone Associates and the Shiawassee Six. Thank you for that. And I am exhausted, man. I've been here for a while working. I'm tell you, I'm just wiped out. I'm tired, man. All right, we're going to take a couple topics today. One, the drama of inmate calls. Let's start with that.
0: This is your cell. This is your bunk.
2: This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the co-filled Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
1: First of all, when you are incarcerated, you should not be calling your lawyer to talk about the case. You just shouldn't. And it's very interesting, the calls you get. Um, some people want to talk about their case. Shiawassee is the worst violator of this. I tell people in the Shiawassee jail, they listen to the call. And they'll say things, they'll make these admissions on the call. There was this one guy. He was a complete ass. No longer a client. But he's saying, like, oh, I did was sell drugs to an undercover. We, okay, dude, stop. Shut up. No, I'm going to talk to you, you're my lawyer. Wait till I come see you. Oh, my God. And some of the ones in Shiawassee that think they're badasses, my wish for them to be humbled would be to spend a weekend at the Wayne County Jail. Because the Wayne County Jail, it's going from JV to Varsity, guys. Wayne County inmates are smarter, though. They'll speak in code. Did you see the Tigers game last night? That means call this person who will be my alibi, hypothetically. And then wash it all. The Washington Jail are these weird intellectuals. They're going to tell you about the case and what you should be doing for them. Shut up on the calls. Seriously. I just, I hate jailhouse calls. It's nothing good's going to happen on a jailhouse call, guys. Seriously, shut up. God, wait till I come to see you. Mm. There's more confessions on jailhouse calls. Last night, I went to um Scott Grable's house. And he taped this episode of Real Sports. Real Sports is a show with Brian Gumble, And I always liked Real Sports. Um, Brian Gumble and Greg Gumbel are two journalists. Always had a great deal of respect for them. And Real Sports, it kind of, Real Sports breaks things down. It goes in depth. Last night's episode though was extremely disheartening. The one Scott taped for me. He taped it. Because it was about the Philly Fanatic, right? I'm a big Philly Fanatic fan. I mean, I think the Philly Fanatic is the greatest mascot in the history of sports. But the episode as a whole, and I'm not one to be a critic and hate on episodes, but who decided this was the move? Let me tell you what episode 7, July 2022, of Real Sports was. Number one, sumo wrestling. So they went to Tokyo. believe it's tokyo or japan forget where the sumo capital is but it's really fascinating what these poor guys go through to be a sumo wrestler it's pretty brutal apparently but this was like this was tragic like the sumo wrestler who didn't make it how he shamed and he basically quit school at 15 to go into the sumo um field if you would And it was just really horrifying. And then there were the sumo groupies. There were these two girls they had, like, I guess early 20s. And they said how they kissed the sumo blanket every night before they go to bed and dreamed of the sumo wrestlers kissing them. So I guess sumo wrestlers could be, like, rock stars here. Their life was horrible. They eat this insane amount of food. They're going through torture. And if they don't make it, my God, that was depressing, but it was interesting. Like, okay, well, I'm not a sumo wrestling fan, but let's see what you got next. This is where I think the show jumped the shark. The World Series of Bird Watching. There were these guys in New Jersey. Of course, they had to be from Jersey. And Scott's like, do you want me to fast forward through this? I'm like, well, yeah, fast forward, but then hold on. Um... I'm kind of curious what these bird watchers are going to say. And they go from North Jersey to South Jersey. Like, every year we do this, and we do it for 24 hours. And I thought it was weird, because they're in the car, going to follow and stalk these different birds. We'll talk about stalkers later. And they're eating these big chicken legs, which I thought was kind of apropos, since they're stalking birds. But that one's... I'm sorry. I, I thought it was funny. But, um... So these guys... For 24 hours straight, they go watch with their cameras and older, their weird technology to watch these different birds across the state of New Jersey. And Scott Grable turns to me and he says, oh, they went to South Jersey. Did you ever go to the bird watching World Series? I said, yeah, I went to the one in 09 that changed my life forever. He didn't get the humor at first. <laughs> Who the hell goes to watch birds for 24 hours straight ah that was horrifying but okay these poor geeks um these are the same guys that go to watch movies at two o'clock in the afternoon you know on wednesday You, you get the drift finally we get to the philly fanatic and i'm pumped up right okay the fanatic dave raymond Love the Philly Fanatic. Let's talk about this. And Dave Raymond starts telling the story how he became the Fanatic. And I'm all into it, you know, alright. Eating our Tavern 109 meal and let's see what the Fanatic's got to say. And it takes a horrible turn. Um, Dave Raymond's mother went deaf when he was a young boy. And he used to have to communicate with her non-verbally. And this was his inspiration for being the Fanatic. And then he says how his mom was dying in the hospital, the doctor gave her eight months to live, so he used to go to the hospital every day, sometimes in his fanatic uniform, trying to cheer her up. I get it. And then he says how his wife left him, and he was suicidal, and he did one more performance as the fanatic, and uh, that performance saved his life. And then he kind of went corporate. And he became like the CEO of mascots across the country for corporations and for sports teams. Then he created the Mascot Hall of Fame. And these guys would travel across the country to go to the Mascot Hall of Fame. And there was this one new mascot. This new mascot, follow me here, okay. He comes to the Mascot Hall of Fame. And he's doing his dance and all this other stuff. And they said... And then we got to meet this mascot. So this poor kid takes his head off, right? It's a 13-year-old boy. This 13-year-old kid has a dream of being a mascot. Now, first of all, I'm rooting for this kid, right? I mean, I'm guessing this poor kid is not going to get laid in high school. He's not going to be at the cool lunch table. And hey, bro, I wasn't either, okay? It's fine. Things will turn around for you. I mean... I know I got much better looking when I started winning Cal murder cases. With that being said, this poor kid wants to be a mascot and then you hear the mascots can make up the $500,000 a year. So now you grow a little bitter, right? It's like, okay. You know what I've had to get to to make that kind of money? I could have just been dancing as a mascot. It was really weird. Um, and it kind of took like the fun out of the Philly Fanatic. I was always a big Philly Fanatic fan, but hearing that Dave Rain was on the verge of suicide, and all those other so I'm glad it worked out for them, but man, they went behind the fourth wall right there. And then we got to the Isles of Man race. This is how they ended things, right? The Isles of Man race is this race that's held in a self governing British crown dependency. What that means in English, it's not part of UK, it's not part of Ireland, but they have this motorcycle race. And apparently, every year these people die during this race. Now, you may ask yourself, there's a decent chance of dying. Why are they racing? And they're talking to all these people that lost their limbs and they're still part of the sport. So, in the Isle of Man Racing, it was just tragic. You see all these guys and they're like harming themselves to be in this race once a year. And then they bring in this politician mm. from the dependency. And he says, how the rest of the world have the balls, basically, to have this race. So, in the editing for the Real Sports episode, we got down on luck sumo wrestlers. We got a bunch of weird bird watchers in New Jersey. The Fanatic was suicidal. And these guys are killing themselves on motorcycles. Hmm. Well, we're a long way from talking about concussions, Brian. I'm rooting for Real Sports to turn things around. you know spotify has been amazing um spotify has basically changed my enjoyment of music until about two years ago i was still listening to cds and the cool thing about spotify is you can do playlists and one of the things i have done on these playlists is um i create it by category you know i got my shiawassee playlist i got my ann arbor playlist i got just like songs now I get the stalker playlist. Apparently stalkers love to send me music. It's one of their things. I mean, a lot of ex-girlfriends or people I talked to back in the day, they know I was always big the music. And uh, when they're drunk, when the Tito's or the Grey Goose has kicked in, depending upon how much food they had before ingesting the vodka, they sent you songs. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a few songs that they have sent to me recently. You know, I haven't seen them in a while. And it's really fascinating how people can express themselves through songs. I will say this. Stalkers love Paramore. I think they feel like Haley Williams is their soul. And the one song that got sent to me many times was Brighter by Paramore. I'll post these songs later. Brighter is really concerning. Because the actual song itself was about the lead singer losing a friend to a boating accident. However, if you listen to the lyrics, it's about somebody who's out of your league and you're waving goodbye and watching their success. And But yeah, Brighter by Paramore. Recently I got this song by Mod Sun, Rich Kids Ruin Everything. It was from this girl who I guess... Her and her boyfriend are down her luck financially, and it was kind of confusing because I mean I wasn't a rich kid. Um, very odd, but she went on this whole novel in a text message explaining what that meant. Better homes and garden by taking back Sunday. Now that's a weird one. Um, that's a Jersey type stalker. Stalkers in Jersey send taking back Sunday. Stalkers in Shiawassee send paramour. Stalkers in Ann Arbor send Emo. And uh, if you don't believe me, I'll show you my list. But one more time. If you're a Jersey stalker, taking back Sunday, sometimes brand new is where you want to go. The Shiawassee types, they love their paramour, And the Ann Arbor stalkers, they love to send Emo stuff. So... I guess what we learned from this whole thing is that if you're mentally unstable, um, if you're in Ann Arbor, you like newer music. Sorry. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to talk about personalities of dogs between Atlantic City and Ann Arbor. That was good, right? I love my dogs, right? Dogs have always been a huge part of my life. But I've learned that the... Social economic status of your family can dictate the personality of the dogs. talk about six dogs briefly Odie, Scruffy, and Duke, Atlantic City. First, Maxie, Charlie, and Teddy, Ann Arbor. Odie was an old rescue dog. He was beaten by another family. He ran away. We got him. And this dog would protect our family like no other. Well, he would try anyway, I should say. We'll learn that Duke was the real badass. But here's Odie. Odie looked like an old man when he was a young dog. So Odie, he was just this great old dog. He had this edge about him, right? He was tough. Um, He thought he was tougher than he was. And, you know, but he had an edge. Scruffy was this little tiny Maltese terrier. And somebody left Scruffy on Mississippi Avenue tied to a pole and poor Scruffy was left there with no food, no water. And I'm walking by and I'm asking people in the hood, is this your dog? Ew. So I realized Scruffy was abandoned. I take him home and he followed me home like we were friends forever. He was a nasty little guy. I love Scruff. He was a protector. He had a real Real surly personality, you know? I said to my aunt one time, who do you love more, me or Scruffy? And she goes, well, I adore you, but you're no Scruffy. I no hard feelings. Scruffy and my aunt were bonded at the hip. And Scruffy was the essential Atlantic City dog. Real tiny little guy. He had a lot of balls, though. A lot of courage. A lot of anger in that little guy. He was a protector of the family. Then there was Duke. Dukey was a Doberman. He was a rescue. We could never pet Duke. He appreciated us. He used to take the food and he would take a bullet for the family. Duke was a pure badass, but we could never pet him. He used to come up to the door, um, show his appreciation, but he was beaten. He was just, Duke was tough, man. Duke was not a rescue dog duke i would put up against any dog in the world as far as a fighter he was just a little psychotic but an amazing protector but we couldn't have a connection with duke the way we did with odie and scruffy now the ann arbor dogs let me just say this i love the ann arbor dogs with a passion But we've had three Golden Retrievers. And um, let me tell you about them. Maxie. Maxie was my boy. He was about 17 when we had to put him down. Max came from Lansing. And I had an ex-girlfriend who I never will discuss. Except to say that she found Max on Pennsylvania Avenue in Lansing. He was abandoned. Apparently he had been beaten. He was a rescue dog. And after our breakup, um, she gave me Max after some interesting negotiations. Max came to Ann Arbor the last couple of years of his life, and let me tell you, Max took to the good life. On many a Sunday's, you could see Max, me, and Joe Latarski watching the Sunday Ticket. Um, if Max ever wrote a memoir about me, it would be horrifying max was a sweet dog not a great defender of the home they had a little bit of edge he'd been through some shit in his life he was my boy i mean that was just my dog he'd been through stuff mm. when we had to put him down and it was funny because the last year of his life so my career really took off so money wasn't an object. We would spend all sorts of money on experimental things. And he was happy. He was eating. He was playing. Um, the last day, though, was horrible. He he basically told us it was time. And the vet said, you'll know the day you have to put him down. Because he was supposed to pass away like six months. I always feel bad with Maxie. Probably kept him alive a year more than he should have. He wasn't in pain, really. But when it was time to go, it was brutal. But he had such a great life. Um, and that dog... Mm. It was so different between Max versus Odie. Because Odie was my dog in Jersey, right? Odie lived a really good life. Max lived a really good life. And there was commonalities they were both rescue dogs. But in a fight, Odie would beat Max up pretty bad. <laughs> there was Atlantic to the Edge versus Max. They got very accustomed to design or treat to Nan Arbor. And I thought Max was a little spoiled at the end, and he had that little suburban flair on. Then I learned about suburban flair with Charlie. Charlie, our little Chucky, it's sad, he only lived a couple and a half years. He had a bad stomach um, issue, and always depressed that he got taken away from us way too long. He was a great dog. But Charlie was about Charlie. Charlie enjoyed going to the salon. Charlie enjoyed going to daycare. He had special food, he had special this, he had special that. If a burglar came into the house, Charlie would greet him and say, hello, let me show you where the jewelry is. I mean, it was just, you know, it just wasn't tough. And such a sweet dog, I adored him so much, but when I look at Charlie's personality versus Odie's personality, it's like, whoa, environment plays a big role. We always treat our dogs amazing, but dogs are brilliant. They can't talk, right? They got this sixth sense. They could sense the environment. And in Atlantic City, the dogs had to be protectors. They were here to protect the family. In Ann Arbor, they were here to enjoy the benefits of your labor. And perhaps nobody encompasses that more than Teddy. Teddy is amazing. Teddy is the best part of our world. He is a sweet, beautiful dog. But as far as a watchdog, um... mm. Well, luckily, where we live, there's not much robberies or harm, so we'll just leave it at that. I truly believe if an armed robber came into the home, Teddy would greet him and ask to play. It's funny, because let's take the armed robber situation. Armed robber comes into the home in Atlantic City. Duke is going to try to rip his eyes out. Teddy is going to ask to be pet dogs are amazing there's a special feeling towards my atlantic city dogs because we went through some together and max encompassed that a little bit because Maxie, you know he went through some stuff in lansing and then he went to the good life charlie and teddy who i adore wouldn't trade them for any dogs they're amazing but they um they don't have a mean bone in their body even if a meme was necessary. I would say the Ann Arbor dogs are sweet and loving, and the Atlantic City dogs were loving and badasses. I'm going to end on a preview of the Village Green years, and I hope Josh Woodman watches this. I know he does sometimes. The Village Green apartment complex in Lansing, Michigan, my God, if those walls could talk. And what we're going to try to do is make those walls talk a little bit. Um, I moved into Village Green in 2005. My second term of law school, January of 2005. Me and my cat, Bianca, which is a story in and of itself, we moved to V Green. And we moved from Washington Apartments. Now, when I came up to law school, I thought I was going to get the Rutgers. That's a long story. Some of you have heard that one before, but I came up the cool way on, like, no notice, and I just got the cheapest apartment I could. I'm tough. I don't give a shit, right? Well, I'll tell you. An apartment in a war zone is not the move for law school. Had a lot of drama go on in the Washington Apartments. The Deluxe Hotel was right by there, and uh, that was prostitution and drug addict haven. And walking home to Washington apartment was always interesting. I decided to walk. It was like a 15-minute walk, and that wasn't the smartest move all the time. So, when I went to Village Green, I felt like somebody got paroled, you know? I'm like, wow, this is awesome. We were in the west part of Lansing, and things were safe, and... I made all sorts of friends, and I mean, there's, there will be some interesting stories with Village Green. Um, There's some stories about Cooley administration coming over when they were drunk. Ex-girlfriends who just moved in unannounced. And I had two experiences at Village Green. The first was the law school experience, and then after a breakup. Here was the thing about V-Green. When you broke up with your significant other, you generally moved into village green it's like i called josh up hey me and her are broken up because i need an apartment let's get in the village green apartment complex a lot of stuff happened at village green i speak fondly on village green from playing on their softball teams to having my tutoring business out of there village green is going to be an interesting story and we will change names and um just so nobody gets out it but uh Village Green is definitely a part of my history, and we'll leave it at that for now.
2: The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800 392 7311. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: January 2005 was my second term. At, uh, Cooley. Let me tell you, I started law school at Washington Apartments. Washington Apartments in Lansing was two blocks from a deluxe hotel. Where it was, like, Hooker and Crack Haven. And I came up to Lansing like, no notice, right? And I think, hey, I'm tough, I'm a Lancet City kid. I'll take the cheapest apartment you got. (laughs) And, um, I learned that living in that environment was not great for studying law. So it was how I had my car broken into, I got jumped regularly. It was screwed up that first term. Brian Largy, good friend of mine, gets me into Village Green Apartments. Brian Largy was an older guy, Michigan's, I'm um, sorry, New Jersey state trooper. And yeah, I come from a like law enforcement background. It was interesting because back then, I believe prosecutors you know, actually liked police. Now, I learned in certain counties, they throw them under the bus in motions, but that's we'll save that for another time. I'll see you in court. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so Brian gets me in the Village Green, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm in the west part of Lansing. This is heaven to me. I'm not in Washington Apartments anymore, so we're in Lansing now. And I don't know, Mike, I'll tell you what, crackheads in Lansing would be the ones that would try to jump me. And you're moving your stuff in the village green, and um, you know, I'm gonna sign a lease. Like, well, I'm gonna be here at least two years. I'll sign a two-year lease. Like, oh no, no, no! You just signed a six-month lease. (laughs) What? I didn't realize that so many people were failing out. So I didn't want to get stuck with your leases. They made this big thing in the village green lease, like if you can't fulfill your obligation, you could pay us a buyout clause. What the hell's going on here? Back then, Cooley was taking thousands of people, only like a couple hundred of us were making it. And I'm like, okay, well here I am, I'm at Village Green, I'm excited, and grades are coming out. And I remember sitting on the floor in Village Green on my laptop, and my grades come out, and I'm on academic probation. And I'm thinking, holy shit. This is it for me. There was a guy named Joe Andrews. Joe Andrews kind of moved in with me rent free for years. That's a long story, but Joe got like always his first term. And I'm going to meet with Norman Fell, and he tells me how I'll never be the lawyer Joe Andrews is. Mm. Wow, well, Norm. How did it work out? But here I am. I'm moving in this new apartment. I'm about to fail out of law school life sucks and one of the first things i do is i'm just frustrated and you know back home i had my condo and all but i used to bring my clothes home my aunt would do my wash hey josh woodman good to see you on here and you learned at the laundry room at village green things were a little sketch as you went down from the third floor to the first floor to go do your laundry the stench of weed and the smell of desperation of law students. It was like a mini boarding school, right? And I'm going to do my laundry. And, um, here's these two people hooking up. They're really unattractive people. And I always wondered, like, why are these ugly people basically dry humping each other in the laundry room? And they're giving you weird looks. What are you doing here? Trying to do my laundry. It's very odd. And you're going down to the laundry room like, huh, this is interesting. That was day one. So day one, I'm finding residents of E. Green dry humping in the laundry room. I'm about to fail out of law school. And things would get a little stranger from there. And let me just say something. I see Allison Pertel out there. I see Josh Woodman. There's Robert I'm friends with. Heather Peake is cool people. There are so many cool people at Village Green, so I mean no disrespect, but I'm just telling you I'm reliving this shit, alright guys? And it was really interesting, there was this one guy, he was like 45, 50, and he wasn't a law student. And it was kind of odd because so many Village Green residents were law students, right? What we'll do with the Village Green years. Is we'll go term by term because things got really interesting but this is the first term and here's this guy and he's like waiting by the entrance and uh kind of reminded me like matthew mcconaughey from days and confused you ever see that all right all right all right <laughs> he says "What well, i love about those high school girls i get older i stay the same age well that'd be a csc3 today matthew so this guy He wasn't committing a CSC, but he'd be trying to get all the coolie girls, and he explained to me one day that all these girls are far from home, they're frustrated, and he's not a law student, so he would present a different option for them. Now, when I mentioned Matthew McConaughey, understand something. This guy was, like, ugly, weighed 100 pounds more than Matthew McConaughey, but he was getting good-looking young law students. It was confusing, because, I mean, I'm just trying to get through the laundry room right like can I get by sex was the last thing on mine but here's this weird guy and I'm thinking well at least I can order direct TV you know it's football season and I'm in Lansing I'm about like two steps away from jumping off the clock tower if I don't have my football and of course you could not get direct TV so you had to basically get Comcast and when you get Comcast at Village Green the only way you get Comcast is to pay the previous tenants bill because the previous tenant didn't pay their cable bill so obviously you're responsible for room 307's cable what are you gonna do? they got you by the balls right? and then there was the renters insurance. I think during law school I had about $400 of value in that apartment you had to pay like $20 a month rentals insurance. And they would tell you, like Suzanne, nice woman. She was one of the leasing agents. Well, if you don't get the rentals insurance, we're not gonna be responsible for if anybody steals anything. Oh no. Don't take my left-handed catcher's mitt. <laughs> it was like, you need rentals insurance, right? Be like, crazy not to get it. And then you would see moving trucks week four you'd be confused like why are all these people moving out in february there's snow on the ground why are all these moving trucks coming week four to village green to would be like a freaking u-haul convention right <laughs> and like they'd be like angry to people driving these trucks and you realize that's when grades came out. maybe people were getting kicked out. Be like a minor league baseball player. seeing so a red tag on their locker. You're out of here. So. It was kind of. People were really frustrated. And there to be this poor bastard. Who's failing at a low school. He's got like this stack of hornbooks. Right? He like spent his life savings on these freaking hornbooks. I don't understand. The hornbooks told me these were the answers. Yet I failed. Oh, but one of my favorite things my first term at Village Green, second term of old school, was the garbage. So, at Village Green, you have to throw your trash out in these dumpsters, right? And these dumpsters are like in the far end of the parking lot, underneath these trees. And, uh,. I was always working late, you know, that's what I did. I always worked late. Surprise, surprise. So I would take my trash at like one o'clock in the morning. And there would be like these raccoons by these dumpsters. They would jump out and attack you. These weren't, these weren't like those cool raccoons and cartoons that would have bought you a drink. These were like these rabid, foaming raccoons. And here I am, I'm a kid from the ghetto, and I'm like ready to fight I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm tossing my trash oh man yeah. garbage at village green was interesting and i wasn't the only one that felt the wrath of these cat raccoons because many other people would get notices you cannot leave your trash by the front door you must throw them in the dumpster so you would think these poor people terrified sorry about the raccoons mike i like raccoons i'm just telling you these raccoons weren't friendly and you would see these people, like, leave their trash by their door or be running out in the middle of the day because they were scared to get attacked. <sighs> then there was the walk of shame. This is when I really started getting good women in Michigan. You would see these really pretty law students do the walk of shame. And it was like, huh. And they would be like this weird looking... Ugly guys that were like third year law students. There were some of like these coolie people. They thought they were like the sh, right? Most of them have applied for law clerks for us, so we haven't hired today. But yeah, they were they were had their moment of fame. And you would see the, like these really pretty girls like walking out of the apartment. And these ugly guys in their third year of law school. Look like they haven't showered in a week. We're like on top of the world, smoking their cigarettes. Ha ha ha, as these girls were leaving. And I thought to myself, holy shit. Well now, if they like them, maybe they get alone with me and my records?" Things started to turn. One of the biggest selling points that first term at Village Green was they would tell you how Village Green is walking distance between the Lansing Mall. You're all excited, like, holy sh**, good. I'm out of state, the mall's right there. Then you realize like 70% of the stores are closed at the Lansing mall, so, you know. Best Buy was there, that was nice. Another big pitch was we are the state capital. We have a mire. Like, oh, what's a mire? Well, you learned it's a grocery store. Okay, let me tell you something. When you walk to this mire, right, You drove by this mire, It was this, like, giant giraffe on the mire. And you go talk to the clerk. And you say, hey, what's up with the giraffe? Like, what are you talking about? I was like, okay. I know I'm not stoned right now. I can't be the only one seeing this thing. This giraffe was, like, enormous. And it would be, like, chilling up there. You'd be buying your gas, like, you think it's going to jump off at you or something. And, like, week 13, you're out of your mind studying like you were having like a psychedelic vision or something it was very weird you know I don't even smoke weed so it was really odd for me but I think my favorite part or the most memorable part of the first month at Cooley was the study room this is a big pitch we got a study room and we got all these Cooley books like oh wow so you go to the books like "Hmm, they're all outdated because initially I'm thinking hey Get all those books there. I want to save some money on some books, right? No, you weren't. It's like the 1982 edition. It's 2005. Not working out. But it's, like, the Cooley study room was weird. It's where, like, ugly people had to go make out. Right, it was like a meet mingle thing. Um. I'd be in there, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, like, practicing by multiple choice. And, like, these ugly coolie students would come in. Like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Well, it's the study room. (laughs) I'm studying. And they get really, like, they're, like, staring at you, really frustrated. Like, you're on their turf. Yeah, the coolie study room was really odd. I mean, like, I'd be prepping, like, are you going to be long? Like, sorry. Um, and then, like, the fourth week they had a singles night there. I'm single. All right. I'm sitting there looking around and. What do they talk about? Oh, who'd you have for torts to? <laughs> and it was weird because these unattractive people who did really well, like on the deans list, were really arrogant. And there's this group of good looking people to the side of, like, on academic probation. So you're going over to the good looking girls, right? And they're like, oh, you want to talk to us? <laughs> well, yeah, you're good. Lucky.
2: The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: Let's tell you about this. This was my second, was my third term of Cooley and it was the second go around at V Green. <clears throat> the grades come back. And you're off academic probation i had crim pro with james peden great guy Civ pro one with uh judge al lynch really good man and research and writing with uh, i forget who that was professor cavanaugh she didn't like me i'm feeling this mutual she was okay <laughs> like so a big part of village at this time was my cat bianca bianca came with me from washington apartments and Bianca was really a great cat lived a long time but Bianca kind of was Bianca's apartment and Bianca was always there Bianca was a guy by the way funny story about that when I got the cat the people that got rid of the cat and it really pissed me off they got rid of this poor cat they said her name was Junior so they named the girl Junior Okay, well she's a very pretty cat. I'm gonna name her Bianca. Then I took Bianca to get shot to get fixed, and apparently Bianca was a man. But would not change the name. He insisted on being called Bianca. That was Bianca. Beautiful cat. Very self-centered, but really good cat. And Bianca and I would, you know, we'd be studying, and my quasi-roommate Joe Andrews. We'll talk more about him another time. But it was basically that was it. And One of the luxuries at Village Green was the pool. The swimming pool was a big thing. Um, I'll tell you this. I used to swing my bat in the swimming pool for like working out. And people thought that was really arrogant. It was really strange, you know, but I liked the swimming pool. Never enough chlorine in the Village Green swimming pool. And the worst part about the green swimming pool was the number of condoms that were hidden by like the heat claves. Wasn't really a fun thing that swimming pool. But perhaps it wasn't as disgusting as the communal barbecue outside. So they would never change these barbecues, right? They would have these barbecues out there, you know, you go to a barbecue, you're in law school, you're bored. The utensils were tied to this thing and like you would put like a brisket on this barbecue and you'd be sick the next day but again you were poor in law school so you went to the freaking communal barbecue it just happened and some of the workers were really cool some of them were not and as you guys know i've always been a big animal lover love dogs love cats and one day there was this group of kittens that were left outside in the middle. It was really it was cold outside, right? And here's these poor kittens. And one of the workers says to me, "Hey, there's these kittens here." I said, "Well, are you going to bring them into the shed? Because they are one of the janitors. So there was a shed there. I think you're going to bring these poor cats into the shed." And she says, "Oh well, no, I have a date tonight. The cats will be fine. Well, they're going to freeze to death." So, I'm bringing these kittens in to the apartment. There's these three little kittens, and I'm trying to save their life. I'm, like, nursing them and giving them milk and all this other stuff. And one of the other workers goes, hey, you got four cats in your apartment now, and at Village Green, you had to pay 20 bucks for each pet. So, we'll since you have four cats in there right now, we're going to charge you 80 bucks next month. <laughs> like, holy sh- I'm trying to save these kittens and I'm getting charged extra money. We worked it out. Well, that was interesting. Um, but everybody at Village Green was talking about Fazoli's. Fazoli's was a drive-through Italian restaurant and everybody's talking about it, right? You know, so here's the thing about Fazoli's. Now I'm an Italian guy from Jersey like Italian food right here's the problem you are taking advice on Italian food from people in Michigan okay and no offense live audience I love you guys from Michigan but you don't know good Italian food so me and another Jersey guy we go to Fazoli's one night we go through the drive-thru and we are so pumped up we ordered the chicken parm we got a side of spaghetti. Get the Tiramisu. We're pumped up. We're telling the guy, hey, here's a tip. Thanks so much. We are excited. And we bring the Fazolis back to our apartment. And we're like talking shit. We're watching The Sopranos on HBO reading our Fazolis. We are like two Italian guys from Jersey. Stereotypical shit right now, right? We get into the bag. Um. So... They don't give you a knife. They don't give you a fork. They don't give you a spoon. They give you a spork. So how am I going to cut the chicken with the spork? And, you know, being a single guy in law school, I mean, all I had was plastic silverware. I didn't have real silverware. So you take out your silverware and it, like, the rubber, it wasn't good. The spaghetti was, um, it's like ketchup with noodles, to quote Henry Hill in Goodfellas. Pozzolis, ugh, didn't get the job done. So we learned in Lansing there wasn't really a lot of good Italian food. And I'm not, I don't mean to go alright? If it works for you, that's fine. It just wasn't quite up to our standards. It just didn't work out. But perhaps nothing was as interesting at Village Creek as the mailboxes. The mailbox was like a fat guy in skinny jeans, right? You had this mail key, which didn't work half the time, and this little tiny slot. And when you had to mail stuff out, it was like compromised. Like you were playing origami or something, trying to get that shit through. I remember one time waiting for my financial aid check to come, just, you know, so I could eat and live. And uh, I go up to the mailman. Like, hey, that check was supposed to come. Any idea? And the mailman was really cocky. He's like, Well, you know what, kid? If I put it in your fing mailbox, it would be there, wouldn't it? Hmm. You start wondering at this point, like, huh? Well, we off. them all back on probation. That's good. I hope to be able to eat in the future with my financial aid checks coming in. The mailman's giving me shit. I can't fit my mail into this box. <sighs> women became a thing of interest third term of law school. This is where I kind of came into my own. And the first real girl, we'll just call her the California blonde. Beautiful girl. A little psychotic. And she fails out of law school. She gets her grades week four of term three and she's done. So she's crying on the phone, hey, I got my grades, I failed out. And I'm like, hey, it's gonna be okay. You're a smart girl. You'll be out for two terms, you'll come back. You're gonna figure this out. So I don't think she's going back to California. I'll talk to you soon, okay? I'll call you tonight when I get home. So I get home. When I get home, she's in the front of my apartment building. Her whole life was in these boxes. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Well, I need your help to bring him up. Okay. So she's moving in. We've been dating three weeks. It seems reasonable. <laughs> oh, and that was a great turn because she just stayed there. She didn't want to leave. About week five, I'm sorry. Like, I should say like week seven, because she failed out week four, but week seven or so, I said or so what's your plan you um gonna get a job you're gonna go back to school and she said to me my plan is to be your girlfriend and then your wife Mm mm-hmm okay and besides me what else do you plan on doing this led to a weird series of events so I would always be studying the library, right? And I'd come home like 11 o'clock at night and she would start calling me 11 o'clock like she wasn't home. And I'd say, hey, what's up? She's, I'm going out. Cool. In fact, I'm out with some other guy and he's really hot. What do you think about that? Um, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this might be my way out, right? Fingers crossed. Like, hey well, listen I understand you do what you gotta do I'm gonna go to sleep now and then she'd come home like 3 o'clock in the morning crying oh my god I wish you just cared about me it was torture oh my god when her ass went back to California it was like champagne celebration that was my first real law school girlfriend that was a sign of things to come we'll talk more about that as the Village Green years continue the heat at Village Green was interesting electric baseboard heating this is very standard in the South. Doesn't really work well in the North. And you realize that when you have a candle by the sink at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're shivering. But one of the things Cooley students did at Village Green was they always went to this one store at the Lansing Mall. And everybody went to this store. This store was the s**t, right? And they're talking about this in study groups. Oh, yeah, I went to the store. went to the store. I'm like, I'm oh, that cold yeah and um so I go to the store one day yeah you want to hear what all the rumors are about so me and a couple friends we went there oh I've been here about the store Okay, sold three items white t-shirts phone chargers and furry blankets with animals on and I'm talking to some of my friends and they're like hey did you go to the store I'm like uh, yeah what'd you think well I didn't really need that big blanket with rhinoceros on it, so I'm good. I don't need to go back. This guy stayed in business off Cooley students by selling phone chargers, white t-shirts, and friggin' furry blankets with animals on it. And these kids, when they get their financial aid check, they were there, I gotta have two of those blankets. And I'm sitting there like, holy sh**. And around this point, you realize, okay, I might be the normal one here feeling good about things you know starting to realize i'm more sane than people think then there was always you know in law school at village green and i said it was like a mini boarding school there was always that one really unattractive guy (laughs) that was dating a really hot law school girl and um this is when you realize like you're like this weird vortex right there was this one guy strange guy I mean, his face looked like somebody hit him with a friggin' frying pan, right? Just, it wasn't good. And you would always see these really pretty girls hanging around him. And I was talking to one of the girls one day. She's like, oh, hey, you live near so-and-so. I'm like, oh, yeah, I live at Village Green, too. And she says, oh, do you know he's got a two-bedroom apartment at Village Green? This is one guy, right? I'm like he has a two-bedroom apartment. Yep. So, here's where I screw up. I always get interested by in stuff like this. And I'm like, um, why does have a two-bedroom apartment? Well, one apart, one of the rooms for his office. And she goes, Wow, he could afford a two-bedroom apartment. So I realized, okay, in Law School Village Green. The status of your apartment was really a huge thing. I could only afford a one bedroom back then. So that was interesting. But I'm going to go back to the laundry room at Village Green. I know Allie Pertel told me she'd have the same experiences in the laundry room, but I'm going to tell you this weird story. One day I'm washing my clothes, right? And you start realizing, huh, there's not as many clothes here as when I started like things start missing and I walk in one day and I had like these old school Pete Rose t-shirts I had like four of them and there was like two like two were missing you know you don't even know what's going on and one day you're doing your laundry there's this guy there and he's wearing this old school Pete Rose t-shirt so you're looking at him like huh this guy's wearing my clothes So you approach. Hey, um, where are you from? I'm from Michigan. Mm hmm. Lansing, right. Where'd you get that t shirt? So you're goddamn business, is it? I think I'm wearing my shirt. Uh, got a little confrontational down there. Like, if you stole, like, the underwear or a white shirt, right? But to steal, like, a Pete Rose filling t-shirt from the 80s. Come on, dude. And then you go back to the scene of the crime wearing it? Ay ay ay. Also interesting were your roommates at Village Green. And I didn't really have a roommate, but I had this one guy that was, like, a squatter. He used to always chill out at the apartment. Never paid rent, never paid for food or anything. He used to have this saying, right? He used to always say, I never have been mad because I had too much toilet paper in the house. I never because I had too much toilet paper in the house. What the hell does that mean? I'll tell you what it meant. So he would often go back to his own apartment. And one day you realize that this guy is stealing toilet paper from you on a regular basis. Um, and that can become problematic in the middle of winter when you're running low on toilet paper. Towards the end of the term, California girl is going, and I'm dating this local girl. Really cool girl. She had a job, I forget, she was in management or something. She was a local, she was a law student. And... um. One of the things she did for extra money was she cleaned apartments on the side. So finals are over. It's my last night in the apartment and it's her birthday and I took her out to uh, this nice restaurant. I'm going home to Jersey, right? I'm going back to Jersey for a week because that's what you did in law school. You went back to your state, go see Aunt Mary, go see mom. So she says to me, it was a really nice gesture. She goes, I'm going to clean your apartment for you. Oh, really? That's really cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. That was one of the coolest things a girl had ever done for me at that point. Like, she's going to clean my apartment. This is so awesome. Now, here was the thing about that the quasi roommate. Did not go back to his home for a couple days, like two or three days, right? So he was staying at the apartment. She came back like five days later. So I'm gone, let's say on a Monday. He stayed till like Wednesday or Thursday. She came back in on a Saturday to clean the apartment. So she calls me up. And I'm all excited. She's going to clean my apartment. She's calling me, tell me how it's going, right? And she says like, quote, F- that I'm not cleaning this shit. I don't know what he did in those few days in the apartment. But um when I got back to Lansing, it was kind of a hot mess. The t-shirt thief and I may or may not have had a fist to cuff. And sadly, your friend from the Shy 6 did not farewell. I didn't really win the fight. And I. Did not get the shirt, but as I learned with most people in life, they hit you, you hit them in the face, they won't steal your shirts anymore at least. Alright, that's it for tonight. Mayor Ken, let's do this. Make it count. Go Amadeo, I'm out.